0: We're continuing the second part of our series on the Holy Spirit called Present, and we're specifically looking at the Holy Spirit's transforming presence within the life of the follower of Jesus and how that presence causes real change both within us and within the people around us as well. And today, we're specifically looking at the presence of the Holy Spirit and how he generates corporate unity. So a reminder of how we are um, kind of approaching the Holy Spirit, we're sharing this almost every week, is, is this kind of defining who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, God's indwelling and empowering presence within his believers and his external presence throughout the world. The Holy Spirit sustains and accomplishes what God the Father wills and Jesus inaugurates. So uh, the Holy Spirit is like continuing the work that God has already ordained. He's already willed it to happen and that Jesus has already done kind of the final act and it's all through Jesus. But, but you know, as we think today, the topic today is about corporate unity. So when you think about the church, um, I would say that most people don't think of the church, do not think of the church as a healing, restorative, caring community. Now, if that is you, uh, I'm, I'm glad that it is you. But, but most people, um, unfortunately, have had experiences with the church, whether directly or indirectly, or maybe even through some cultural influence. Um, but, but the general culture, I would say, thinks of the church as damaging, divisive, and gossip-filled. And I just want to say quite plainly and clearly at the beginning of this, that there is good reason for that. That there has been a history where the church has been damaging. The church has been divisive on certain issues. It has been um, oftentimes, unfortunately, known for how it talks about one another and how it it seems to, uh, for lack of a better term, shoot its own wounded. And, And I want us to think about maybe a a different perspective of the church. I want to ask us a a challenging question to consider as we're walking through how the Holy Spirit brings corporate unity. What if the church could be different? My friends, what if we could carefully plant a church like like planting a seed in the ground that would would take time, but that would grow into a healing, that would be a a redemptive, joy-infused, lovingly unified, caring community that embodied the hope of Jesus? And what if people that joined that church family... um, that they join that church family not because of flashy lights, they joined that family not because of fog machines or laser light shows or attractive banners, but what if people actually joined this family because of the joy of the people already in it? What if the joy of the people within that family was an attractant? That was attracting people, that was encouraging people, that 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 we would embody joy, that we would embody hope to such degree that people would be drawn. To it like moths to a flame. Now, my friends, that would be a vision worth fighting for, wouldn't it? Well, today, this is our main point. Our main point for today is this that the Holy Spirit's presence within a community can transform individuals, you and me, into a unified family joined together around a common vision to follow Jesus, to live in familial love for one another, and experience true and lasting joy. Together. Now we're just going to be looking at three short points today. Um, We're going to look at the the, uh, united in a spirit-led life, united in a spirit-led vision, and united in a spirit-led citizenship. So let's begin to look and see how the Holy Spirit, as as he's present in our life, he actually brings corporate unity by looking at united in a spirit-led life. Look with me at Philippians 1, 27, as we kind of begin to look at this today. This is Paul writing to his friends. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents." My friends, Paul begins his letters at the end of his first chapter actually to the to his friends in Philippi, and he begins with a personal charge when he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. My friends, what he's saying is is that individually we need to live out what God has already done in us. My friends, you and I are called to be personally changed and that actual personal change should impact us as a church. And this is so important for me. Um, Living life worthy of the gospel is actually something that Jesus has already done for us. He's already modeled. He's already demonstrated. He's already walked in the shoes that he's calling us to walk and he's already paved and, and carved the pathway of what that looks like and we're simply called to follow in his steps. But my friends, as you and I read the scriptures consistently, as we spend time time with Jesus. As we are being led by the Holy Spirit, as we spend time in prayer, as the Holy Spirit begins to speak to us and lead us individually, it actually begins to change the church. It actually begins to make our church family healthier, and it actually makes the body of Christ in the world healthier. So our time with Jesus is important for community. And this is why I I am so emphasizing, spend time in the scriptures. I have a expectation. I have a standard for the people that are jumping in with us that call Redeeming Hope their church home, and that is 15 minutes three times a week. Now, I want you to do more than that. I try to do more than that, but I just think if you can carve out 15 minutes where you spend in the Word and in prayer three times a week for 15 minutes each time, I think that will radically change your life if you are humble and submissive to God's Spirit. If you're listening to His Spirit, if you're being led by Him on an individual level, it is vital to our church family. My friends, you matter. You actually impact our church and your spiritual health makes us healthier. So my friends, what would it look like for for a church to embody that next phrase that Paul says, standing firm in one spirit. This is what he says. He says, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. So when I come see you, I'll hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. What does it mean that we're standing firm in one spirit? My friends, I think that that, I think a few things that that means. I think one, that when decisions are made in our church family, we have grace and clear communication. I think standing firm in one spirit, we need to know where we're standing and where we're going. And so I think that when decisions are made in the context of a church family, there needs to be a default of grace. And I don't think that the church is always known to be grace filled. And that actually really grieves me because I want that to be different. And I want us to be different to where our default decision making mode is always going to default towards grace and clear communication. Next, I think that a church that would look like standing firm in one spirit, I think that we would have a fierce allegiance to one another's thriving and growth. So we would be fiercely allegiant to one another, like we would be partners together, that we would be a loyalty towards one another, and that would be rooted in wanting to see each other thrive in our lives and then grow to be more like Jesus. Like, I honestly think that this is what a true, healthy church family that's led by the Holy Spirit, that's unified, looks like is we have a fierce allegiance to one another. We care for one another. We're for one another. We are lifting one another up when we're down, and we're together so that each other can grow and thrive. So we're not thinking about ourselves. We're not thinking how I can thrive. We're not thinking about how I can grow, but we're thinking about how can you thrive? How can you grow? And if we're all doing that, then we're all paying attention and caring for one another. It's like in a healthy marriage, right? It's If I'm constantly thinking about how I can benefit from my relationship with Rachel, it's not going to serve me because I'm not going to get from her what I need. And it's not going to serve her because she's not going to get what she needs. But if if I'm dialed in with Rachel and say, how can I serve her and help her? Guess what that's going to do? That's going to motivate her by grace to say, hey, how can I love and serve Josh? And together we care for one another, right? That's what it looks like, a fierce allegiance to one another's thriving and growth. Another thing that I think a healthy, unified, like standing firm in one spirit church is relentlessly committed to speak well of one another. I want you to be stubborn not to gossip. My friends, one of the deepest poisons in the church's history for the past 2,000 years has been us chirping and talking about one another behind each other's backs. And it is just poison for the church It is poison for our souls and it is poison when we talk about one another behind each other's backs. And I honestly believe the enemy of God wants to do that to separate and divide the church. And so here at Redeeming Hope, we have a policy and I enforce that policy religiously. I don't actually say that term quite often, but I do here. We don't talk about one another. So if you come to me and you have a problem with someone else in our church, guess what I'm gonna tell you to do? Hey, go talk with that person directly. Hey, how can I help you guys get together? Hey, can I help you guys get together and just be a third party so that you guys can talk, so that you can, you can work things out? Uh, Matthew 18 lays this out very clearly. Jesus gives us a clear pathway. If you feel wronged by someone, if you feel hurt by someone, you go talk with them directly and immediately. And it is so easy in this world of text message communication to just shoot off a quick text when you're feeling hurt or when you're feeling confused or when there's uh, communication that isn't always clear, you don't understand it, and you're trying to just kind of work stuff out with other people. Don't do it. Reject it that is not being led by the spirit, that is being led by your flesh. That's being led by the natural man, not the spiritual man. That's being led by the natural woman, not the spiritual woman. So we, we want to call you to speak relentlessly, be relentlessly committed to speak well of one another. Another thing I think that a church family, a healthy church family, that is standing firm in one spirit, what that looks like, is deference towards one another is actually deferring to one another in love. And again, if, if, if there's only one person deferring, then it doesn't work, right? Because that person will just feel like a doormat. But if we're all deferring to one another, if we're actually trying really hard to show honor to one another, I think that could really change. And that, that could really change the world as they see how we interact together as a church family. Look with me at Romans 12. in our language to one another, how we just lift one another up and encourage one another. My friends, this is what it looks like to strive side by side, shoulder to shoulder, covering each other's weaknesses. My friends, this is a community worth fighting for. A spirit-led life overflows into a spirit community that is becoming more like Jesus. Now, um, next, what the Holy Spirit does is he unites us in a spirit-led vision. So Paul actually continues. We're gonna just keep following the flow right into the next chapter here in Philippians. Philippians 2, starting in verse one. Listen to these words. So if, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. My friends, as we talked about just a few minutes ago, our our manner of life is worthy of the gospel, and then he actually tells us what that means, right? Our manner of life is worthy of the gospel when we are encouraged in Christ, when we are comforted in love, when we are participating in the spirit, when we are affectionate and sympathetic towards one another, and my friends, the joy is that you and I don't have to do this ourselves. All of this has been modeled by Jesus. All of this are are realities for you and me. All of these things that are here, being encouraged in Christ, comfort and love, participating in the Spirit, affectionate and sympathetic... All of these are now given to us as realities that Jesus has earned for us and is allowing us to experience because of his work on the cross. And now the Holy Spirit is allowing us to experience these things in our present reality. This is doable because Jesus has already done the work for all of these things. So he's saying, he very specifically says, if there is any participation in the spirit, this means fellowship, this means communion. If you and I are individually partnered with the spirit, then we will be of the same mind. Mind because we are following the same person, because the same spirit that lives within one believer is the same spirit that lives in the life of another believer. So if the spirit is leading one person to do something, he can't contradict himself. So he'll lead a whole group of people in the same direction. And that's what it looks like to be of the same mind. I really truly believe that is referring to vision. My friends, being of the same mind means moving in the same direction. It's having the same goals. It's learning the same language. It's celebrating the same things. Now, this doesn't mean homogeneity. This doesn't mean that we all look the same, right? Our diversity models the gospel right? This also doesn't mean that we can't ask questions because in order for us to be of the same mind, we actually have to go through the really hard work to wrestle with insecurity. We have to go through the really hard work of wrestling with questions as it relates to, hey, why are we doing what we're doing? Because we can't be of the same mind if there's not a space to ask questions. Then we're just mindlessly being obedient, right? He doesn't say, hey, be of the same mindless obedience. What he says is be of the same mind, which is we have to thoughtfully express questions thoughtfully express concerns, thoughtfully give feedback on where we're going as a church family, and then that's how we'll actually work out our differences and be of the same mind. My friends, you and I are going somewhere together. This is this is in unity. This is Becoming more like Jesus. This is suffering well. This is finding encouragement in Christ. This is finding comfort in His love for us and loving one another. This is working, being in partnership, being in fellowship with God's Spirit who resides in all of us who are a part of the redeeming hope that have chosen to follow Jesus. This is expressing affection and sympathy towards one another. This is what it looks like. We are going in that direction. It's the vision of our church. My friends, we are going somewhere together. We are following the same vision. And and this is why we actually share our vision weekly, because I want you to know, if you want to be a part of our church family, where we're going. That is how we're of the same mind. Then he also says, having the same love, and the same love is Jesus. My friends, we love Jesus here at Redeeming Hope. We, we, We try to reject the love of success or growth. We try to reject the love of multiplication or movement. We try to reject the love of not appearing as if our lives are together. But my friends, we truly want to love Jesus, having the same love. So so the goal is that we are of the same mind. The goal is that we have the same love, and then we're in full accord. That means that we are in complete agreement on what the win is. That's what I want. I want to define the win for us as a church family, and we're all in agreement. We're of the same accord. We're on the same page with what the win is. My friends, the win is our vision. Are we acting and living like a family? Are we following Jesus consistently? And are we really open to helping others find Jesus, regardless of where they might be? And are we doing all of those things like a missionary here in Clarksville, or wherever you might be? If we're doing that, we're winning right? So there's other metrics that will follow that, right? There's multiplication, there's movement, there's growth, you know, there's all those things. But if we're doing those things, we're winning. And if you think we're winning when we're following Jesus and we're helping others find him and we're living like a family and we're doing all of it like a missionary in Clarksville, then we're of the same accord. We're, we're on the same page. That's what that means, defining the win, And finally, um, as we see here, Paul is appealing to them. He's saying, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, right? So he goes back. So we're actually backtracking a little bit in the verse. Make my joy complete. My friends, Paul wants to find joy in unity. He says, I will, my joy will be complete when I see you having the same mind, being of the same accord, right? So so he has a joy In unity, he does not have a joy in division. And my friends, if we value the things that we're talking about here today, we are unified. But here's the deal. There's a flip side to this. There's an unfortunate negative to this positive. This means that people who come to Redeeming Hope, who find a joy and a perverse delight in conflict, this means that people that come to Redeeming Hope that that want to look good in front of others, and to prove how much they, they know, maybe maybe they try to teach, they try to assert authority or dominance, or try to show how smart they are, if they come into our church, if we're doing this right, they won't be comfortable in our church. And that's by intention. Now you see what will happen with and that might be you. Maybe you've been in a group this week where that's been a little uncomfortable. It's been a little challenging. Maybe, maybe you've been at a gathering and, and you felt something there. Well, well here's the deal. Our culture is being shaped where it, with deference, with relentless love and care to speak well of one another, with, with being passionately wanting to see one another grow, with being really open to anyone, regardless of where you are on your spiritual journey. And so if, if, that, if that doesn't jive with you, then guess what? You're not going to be comfortable in our church. But here's, here's the joy. You'll either change and catch the vision or leave. And that's the goal, right? There's some people that came to Jesus that caught the vision. They followed him, and after his death and resurrection, they gave their life for this message. There's others that came to Jesus and turned away very sad. And my friends, this is how we embody Christ to the culture around us, is that we are, we are speaking well of one another. We are unified. And again, there are some people that might take delight in conflict or drama or trying to assert Looking good, or maybe trying to assert some sort of authority by teaching, and and th- they're going to feel uncomfortable in our church. And, and again, if that's you, I want you to know that you are welcome here. And so the call of Jesus is to to change, become more like Jesus, right? So you become more like Jesus, or you won't fit in here at Redeeming Hope, and that's okay. Because my friends, we don't want to force people to change. That's not what we're here for. We're here to model Jesus. We're here to follow Jesus. And if people are jiving with that, they're going to jump in with us. And if they're not. That's okay. So my friends, a, a church united in a spirit-led vision. People will love it and stay. People will hate it and leave. And our job is to love them all, regardless of where they are. Finally, we, we want to look at united in a spirit-led citizenship. What does it look like that the spirit brings corporate unity, united in a spirit-led citizenship? Look with me at Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, By the Spirit, my friends. Just three short points on this verse here. My first off, it says that our citizenship is in heaven. It says you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. My friends, here's what this means: followers of Jesus are not first Americans. They are not first Republicans. They are not first Democrats. They are not first gun owners or gun opposers. They're not first employees or business owners. My friends, followers of Jesus are first and fo- If you're a follower of Jesus, you are first and foremost a citizen of heaven. This world is not your home. Your hope is not in this world. And to the degree that you place your hope in this world is to the degree that you will experience conflict with other believers. Because as you place your hope in this world, whether that be in a political ideology, whether that be in winning a culture war, whether that be in your kids or your business or however you try to define yourself outside of being a citizen of heaven, when someone comes with an opposing view, you're going to treat them as an enemy. You're going to treat them as the other. You're going to want to defend positions. You're going to want to not show deference. You're not going to be naturally inclined to seek their well-being and their thriving. Because you're going to see them as someone in conflict with you. You're going to see them as an enemy, not as a fellow brother or sister or as a friend. But if you're a citizen of heaven, then you will look at every follower of Jesus as a fellow citizen with you and every person that doesn't yet follow Jesus as a potential citizen of heaven. And your view of them will change. My friends, we have a citizenship first and foremost with God next it says we are members of the household of God so he switches the analogy right he says we're citizens like we are citizens of a country and then he then moves to a very personal familial language we are members of the household of God my friend if followers if you are your friends who are followers of Jesus they are your brothers and sisters with you on mission for Jesus And if you have friends that are not yet followers of Jesus or are still exploring faith in God, they are potential brothers or sisters on mission for you with Jesus. Treat them as such, right? So we are citizens of heaven. We are collectively members of the household of God with familial love towards one another. And I guess, side note for a second, I just wanna pause here and say, do you treat others in your life like they are your brothers and sisters? Do you love them, even when they're being knuckleheads? Like, do you show a compassion and a grace? Or is there certain people that you defend against? Is there certain people you're in conflict with? And is there certain people that you put up walls with where you don't want to seek their thriving? Well, that might be an area where you're putting your hope in this world and not as a citizen of heaven or a member of the household of God. That might be, your identity might be in a business and if someone is trying to vie for a position in the business that you're vying for, you'll see them as an enemy because you're defining your identity by your job. But if you're defining your identity as, as, a, as a member of the household of God, an adopted son or daughter of God, then you can get that promotion or not and still love that person because they're not in conflict with you. Do you see? Because you have a family, you have a citizenship. My friends, our local churches joined together collectively to be the temple of God. So we looked at citizen, we looked at household. Now he then ends with by saying, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We looked at this, uh, talking about the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. My friends, we are a living, breathing model of who God is to the world around us. And it's not just individually as temples, because we talked about how the Holy Spirit resides in us. Now, he indwells us as a, and we are a temple of God, right? But then our church collectively, corporately, is a model of who God is to the world around us. And I'll just, I got to share this with you. Our, our, our leadership team got together this weekend for Redeeming Hope, and we just had a wonderful time sitting at my kitchen table, which is actually right there. And we prayed together. We, we got trained in corporate prayer, and we prayed together. Um, we sang a song together. We read the scriptures. We did three questions discipleship together. We, we talked about vision. We talked about areas of need in our church. We talked about where we want to go. We talked about planning our first Sunday gathering. We talked about planning a youth event upcoming at the end of June. Like, we talked about all these things. It was amazing, right? And I left that meeting and everybody else, I followed up with them later, they left that meeting feeling more encouraged than when they came in. That's how a church meeting's supposed to go. Like, I don't know what your experience has been with church meetings, but my experience wasn't always the best with that. And I just want to say, like, when we're healthy, when we're operating well, when we're living in unity, when we've got clear communication, when we're speaking well of one another, when we have conflict, we immediately address it, When all those things are happening, then when we get together, it's joy filled. It's confirming what God is doing. And it is truly a joy to go to a church meeting. You'd never think that, right? Growing up, if somebody said, Man, it's a real joy. I love going to church meetings. I'd say, You're crazy. But actually, when the spirit is in it, when the spirit is leading, when there's corporate unity, it really is a joy. And I can't wait for the next team meeting. And I even told the team, I said, We don't have to meet every month. But everybody's like, no, we want to keep meeting monthly because they said how valuable that time together was. My friends, together as a church family, we are growing into the dwelling place of God for the world around us to see. uh, Going back to that Philippians 2 passage, Paul said, complete my joy by being of the same mind. And my friends, when the Holy Spirit is truly present within a community, it transforms us personally and it transforms us corporately. It makes us more look like Jesus together. It makes us look like Jesus together. And my friends, joy is generated when decisions are made with grace and clear communication. When we have a fierce allegiance to one another's thriving and growth. When we are relentlessly committed to speak well of one another, regardless of what we feel in the moment. Now, if you're joining us and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I I just want to tell you, you can be a part of this. You can be a part of this family you can be a part of this household. You can be a citizen of heaven. You can have the Holy Spirit that, that resides inside of you, that guides you, that brings you personal life-transforming change as you follow Jesus. But then it also brings you into a family. Like, you can't do it on your own. Like, you can't be a Lone Ranger Christian. And so what we're inviting you, what Jesus is inviting, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, is, is to follow him, not just for some far-off heaven when you die, although that's amazing, but he's also inviting you into experiencing heaven now with a church family that's unified, that's broken, that's acknowledging our brokenness, that's relentlessly loving one another, committed to one another, caring for one another. Like this is what you get when you choose to follow Jesus. And all you have to do is hear this message, believe that it's true for you, that you need the sacrifice of Christ on your behalf and obey by making Jesus Lord of your life. And instantly... The Holy Spirit will come inside of you, right, to dwell within you, to make his home in you. But then he'll also lead you into a church family that is going to care for you and love you, regardless of of the circumstances. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, my friends, we can either accept or reject the Spirit's unifying work. And I want to encourage you, um, and there's actually some ways we're going to put on the screen on how you can accept the Holy Spirit's Um, unifying work in our church. The first is pray for one another in our church. My friends, if you are having a conflict with somebody, it's really hard to be mad at them when you pray for them. It's just really hard. You can still do it. And trust me, I have done it. I've prayed for people and been mad at them, like seriously. However, it's really hard to pray for people genuinely and be mad at them. So pray for people. Pray for one another in our church. Next, be relentlessly stubborn to speak well of one another. If you have a problem, go to the person directly and immediately. Just go to them directly and immediately. Talk to them. Clarify it. It's almost never as bad as you think it is. And it would be so much better than holding off because it just will build in your mind. So if you have a, be relentlessly stubborn to speak well of one another. Next, be fierce in your love and pursue others' growth. I really want you to think about the growth of other people. When you're in the midst of conflict... If you're in a group and you're feeling tension, just think, how can I help everybody else here grow? And if we're all thinking that, then we're all going to be cared for and we're all going to grow and look more like Jesus. And finally, let the Holy Spirit in personally and you will help us be shaped corporately. As you follow the Holy Spirit personally, you change our church. And I just want you to know you matter. You matter to our church. You personally matter to our church because when you're healthy, our church is healthy. When you're healthier, our church is healthier. My friends, the Holy Spirit's presence within a community can transform individuals into a unified family, joined together around a common vision to follow Jesus, live in familial love for one another, and experience true and lasting joy together. My friends, isn't that a family worth fighting for?